Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. This week, I'm talking with Gabrielle Dolan. Here's a little bit from Gabrielle. If your job is communicating, it's like, why would you not? Why would you not use stories? Why do, why do we stick with bullet points and PowerPoint presentations? For the life of me, I still can't understand what the systemic poor use of PowerPoint as a communication tool in business. I enjoyed meeting Gabrielle and sharing stories together. But before I tell you about our conversation, here's something from our sponsor for this week. A brand new product to market, Roy Mint Company produced the highest quality mints you can find and through a connection to local artists, have created an entirely different mint experience. Available only in select coffee shops, partnered locations and online, you can learn more at roymintco.com and share their journey by following Roy Mint Co on Instagram. Telling my story is something I've enjoyed doing more and more over the past few years. I have one friend in particular whom I will call when I have a stranger than fiction story to tell. There is something about the way he listens. It brings out the joy in both of us as I tell my tale. And although I love sharing these stories with my friends, and I can see that telling stories naturally flows in the context of my side business, I've never made the leap that there could be a place for larger organisations to tell stories or hear this telling of stories. This is the playground of my guest for this week. Gabrielle worked for 17 years in corporate Australia at the NAB, during which time she had a moment of witnessing the power of an individual telling an authentic story. Now 13 years into a new career, Gabrielle speaks, writes and coaches people on the art and impact of authentic storytelling. Thanks for joining me and I hope you enjoy listening to Gabrielle Dolan on the subtle disruption of storytelling at work. Gabrielle, great to be sitting here with you, having a chat. I always ask, first of all, where we are sitting and why you've chosen this place for our conversation. We are sitting in my home office, so in Ascot Vale. I, when I'm not with clients, I just love working from home. Um, so I'm just surrounded by my books and other people's books and um, love the fact that I can come in and out and do some washing and go to the gym and go for a run um, and the flexibility of working from home. So I get a lot of work done in this home office. Is this, yeah, it's, it's an amazing space too. I love it. So high ceiling and light and yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old hundred year old house and this oh, wow. would have been, should be the dining room and the dining okay. rooms are almost always the most beautiful rooms in the house, <laughs> yeah. but I'm never ever going to use a formal dining room. So it's, it's the office. Yeah. And how long, have you always worked from home? Um, ever since I left the corporate world, which was about 13 years ago, I worked from home. I've had I've had city offices, so I actually do have a city office. Okay. But I, I very rarely go into it. So um, the city office is, and it's twice I've had city offices, but very rarely use them. So just actually tossing up now whether I continue with the city office. I mean, that's a beautiful building. That's in the GPO building. Yeah. Um, but I just don't. I just don't use it as much as I thought I would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess what. I mean, how do you find your day is working from home as well? Do you do you, you, do you find that flow between work and non-work okay, or sometimes a yeah, bit intrusive? Or? Yeah, no, I find it okay. So a lot of people say, um, oh, "I don't know how you can work from home. You, you'd get distracted. Like, there's no distractions at work. You know, like you don't go into work <laughs> no. and people don't just come up and talk to you, or you hear people talking for an hour about the footy over the weekend. So there, yeah. there's constant distractions at work." I, um, if anything, sometimes the isolation of home I don't like. And when I'm feeling that way, I, I would sometimes just take myself to a cafe nearby yeah. and go, you know, have lunch at a cafe. The reality is I travel a lot and when I'm delivering, I'm with clients. So it's probably only one or two days I'm at home. So I really, I, I just really like it. And I've got no problem at all switching on and off between, you know, doing some work stuff, doing some, you know, go shopping, doing some more work stuff, go 
cooking dinner. So yeah. I don't have a problem at all. I actually, I actually find it makes me really productive to break up the work after a while and do something else. I've worked from home as well. I'm not yeah. currently doing most of my work from home, but I found exactly the same. Like being able to, like, I procrastinate anyway at work to give myself that break. Yeah. But it's usually quite unproductive procrastination. And if I'm at home, I can do things like yeah, cook or yeah. wash or whatever. That's exactly. It's it's productive procrastination. You sit there and you go, this is a, you're about to do something you really don't want to do, and you go, oh, I'll just put on a load of washing. It's <laughs> yeah. just like I'll just get dinner ready, but. But then you come to the weekend and you've done all this work and you go, right now I've actually got no excuse to do this bit of work I've been putting off. So, yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking around your room as well and I might get you to describe a couple of the things. I, I noticed one book that I'm really impressed with at the moment, which is Sapiens. Yes. I really yeah. enjoyed that. It's uh, yeah. had a big impact on my thinking yeah. lately. Yeah, I loved I was drawn to the book Sapiens because it's all around how... Um, Humans are the only species that rely on storytelling, which I'm fascinated wow, by. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very thick book. Yeah. Um, and after spending a long time trying to get through chapter one, I decided to get the audio book, which oh, goes for 15 hours. Oh, wow. Uh, it coincided at the same time I was getting serious into running. So I spent a lot of times with sapiens on the treadmill yeah. and got through it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good leading to what we'll talk about um, with storytelling and humans mm. being the only species. Before I do, I want to, can you talk through these, these uh, pin boards that you've got up on the yeah, wall as so well? I've got, I've got these pin boards up on the wall and they're the, my visual sales funnel. So in, in my um, business, I guess I focus on a few things. I focus on storytelling. I, fo I have a women in leadership program. I do thought leadership programs. I do speaking. Yeah. So the funnels are <laughs> the, the funnel. They're just boards, yeah. but they've got little um, post-it notes on it that I, I go from you know potentially prospects, so potentially people that'd be interested in this, and then when I contact them, send them to me. I'll move down to contacted, and then yeah. if they're interested and want a proposal. You know, you, you physically move them down the funnel to the point where you've sent a perhaps a deposit or you've delivered it. And I, I don't know, there's something really exciting about moving a post-it note down the funnel. I mean, <laughs> I've got it in an Excel spreadsheet, but it's never as exciting tracking no. sales and it's um it's just a visual reminder. So it's... Um, yeah, some people, my younger sister said it, it looks like an axe murderer's place. You walk in and they've got all the, all the, all the you know, your potential victims up on the wall. And yeah. I go, well, it's not really like that, but I can sort of see why it is a little bit like that. <laughs> and there, yeah, so each board is a different each thing a, that you sell. Yeah, each yeah. board is sort of a different product, I guess, Yeah. Um, what I do. So um, some, as you can see, are a lot more populated than others, some... Yeah. Some I some I don't proactively go out and you know try to sell the, the storytelling. For example, um, people just sort of come to me, so the sales the funnel doesn't really fill from the top. It just goes straight into the middle of yeah. people who want a proposal, which is which is a nice and easy way to sell, actually. Yeah, I'm wondering how to jump into talking about that, but perhaps we can just jump in. So, do you you help people? I'm paraphrasing my own understanding here at the moment, yeah. but you help people and businesses. Or not, yeah, maybe that's a question. Do you help businesses and individuals tell their story? Yeah, look, it's it's probably mainly well, it's individuals within businesses. Sure, so yeah. predominantly, I work for you know the large corporate Australia. So you know the likes of National Australia Bank and Aussie Post and Accenture and Bupa. So it, I, I mainly come into organisations for a couple of reasons. One. One is when they just want their leaders to be better at communicating. So, you know, it's, it's, it's leaders get promoted because they're technically good at what they do and then all of a sudden they're in a position where they've got to lead, they've got to communicate more effectively, they've got to influence and, you know, like any other skill, you need to be trained in that. So I go in and, and be part of, I guess, leadership development programs, teaching storytelling Predominantly, though, I go into companies when they're rolling out a new strategy or their new values, their company values, mm. and there's this realisation that, you know, that they could have the best strategies in the world and unless their employees are really engaged with it and really connect with it and really connect with the values in a way that the values actually drive decisions as opposed to just being, you know, words on a wall, um, there's no point having them. So 
that's when I go into organisations and work with the senior leaders. So whether it's just the CEO and the senior leadership team, it normally is the next, you know, quite a few layers down um, and giving them the skill of how to use personal stories to get your business message across. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I read your book, and which is Stories for Work. Yep, Stories for Work. There. And... I mean, one of the things that struck me as a, a couple of things, one was I can't really remember a time I told a story at yeah. work as well. And I couldn't really remember hearing them that often right, as okay. well, Yeah, which kind of surprised me because I do tell stories regularly outside of work. Yeah, You do on your website. Your story, I do on my, yeah. your story from being in Brooklyn is the story of how you started this. So, yeah. yeah. And maybe I'm talking about actually a particular kind of the consulting work that I do. I don't. I don't really tell stories much there, but yeah, through my podcast and through yeah. another side business that I've got, there's a lot of storytelling amongst us. And maybe it's, it feels a little more, maybe less formal or corporate. Maybe I've got this mm. distinction between corporate is not so emotional, but other stuff, I, I'm allowed to express my emotions. Yeah. Maybe that's a distinction yeah. that I've got. Well, it's a distinction that probably a lot of people have that, you know, you've probably nailed it. If it's following your passion, you feel like you can show emotion, you can show passion, you can share stories. But we think because when we go into the corporate world or into business that it's all very serious and professional and mm. we, we're not allowed to do that. Either we're not allowed to do it or we shouldn't do it. Um, the, you know, works, works and personal, personal, and we shouldn't mix the two. So, uh, look, a lot of the time when I go in and, and show leaders the power of, personal stories in business, there's this realisation of going, some of them go, I just never even thought, I never thought for a second that I could use a personal story to get my business message across. But they realise how powerful it is and how yeah. much more engaging it is than I should do it as well. Yeah. And that, it was interesting you were talking about values then and when you, that's often when you get asked yeah. into organisations when, they, when they're changing their values or their strategic direction. And I was thinking about the company where I work right now, and it's got really strong values, values that I really identify with yep. as words and the phrases, but I don't, there's no stories associated with them. Mm. And um, there's people from this work going to be listening to this podcast as well. So, <laughs> you know, you can uh, take this for what it's worth. But I was just reflecting on that when you were, and as I was reading and talking about that, that if there was, I mean, if, if the CEO told a story of how that value impacted a particular client mm. or um, yeah, how that manifested in everyday interactions, that would be incredibly connecting and powerful. And I think yeah. I'd have a, probably a clearer recollection of it and understanding of how I might be able to live that value yeah, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's sort of, I guess there's two parts to that. Is One is organisations should always be trying to find stories of when people have lived the value. So when employees have just lived the values, you know, how they've helped customers and actively share those stories that sort of go, oh, wow, that's what we mean by respect or integrity. Because the more you share stories about people living the values, the more they, more other people will live the values. The other side of that is too, is I help leaders go, you know, any company value, but it'll be like respect for people. And I just say, well, what does that mean to you? What does it personally mean to you? And they'll say things like, and it'll be different, it'll be different, which which is fine. They'll, they'll say things like, respect for me is, you know, when you're with someone, you're present and you're really listening to them. And then I go, okay, well, share it, share it at a time when that's outside of work, when that's happened. And, you know, they'll share beautiful stories about their kids and, mm. you know, perhaps when they haven't been showing respect to their kids, perhaps when their kid has said, you know, Daddy, why aren't you listening to me? You're never listening to me. And they share those type of stories to highlight the fact that this is hard and it, it, we don't do it all the time and it's sort of got to be front of mind, but, but this is what it means to me, which, which just creates a really strong connection. It helps them create a connection to the value. So when they're communicating it to their people, they can create a connection as well. So it's both, it's both those stories that work really well. Yeah. It's interesting that, you work a lot with leaders as well because, I mean, that's hearing you say that and, and thinking about the technical side of leadership, which probably can be mastered relatively easily. Yes. <laughs> but that, that other side of leadership, it isn't really talked about in those settings, I don't mm. think, like that influencing and storytelling. And um, 
um, and connection. I mean, is that, do you find that as well? Oh, look, some, some companies do. Some companies realise the importance of leaders just can't have the technical ability. And I think more and more that's getting the case because, you know, whatever you knew five years ago is probably irrelevant now. Yeah. So just being the most experienced certainly doesn't make you the smartest person in the room. So I think they're realising as we go through such, you know, such rapid change and such transformation that the, the really good leaders will be the ones that can inspire people to go along that journey and not necessarily have all the answers. So I think there is a move more towards that and therefore either in the first place selecting the leaders that are good at that, not necessarily the technically good ones, um, and then providing training and self-awareness and insights to help them get better at that. Yeah. It needs to do it. It needs to happen a lot more, but it's it's happening. Yeah. yeah. When you so I mean, I think this is we've talked a bit about leaders, but I think this kind of thing is applicable for people in all stages of life, oh, not just in business, yeah. outside yeah, of business, absolutely. in all levels of an organization. Absolutely. When you work with individuals, what how do you help them become good storytellers? Yeah, that's well. First of all, you're right. It's it's this is a skill anyone would get benefit out of, and it's one of the reasons why you know I guess I write books, which means any person can pick it up in the world and yeah. learn it. Um, and why I also did an online program because anyone could do it. Yeah. Um, but the process, I mean, the very first place I start is helping them understand why storytelling is so powerful. So you know, when I run training, when I work with leaders, some of them come. Some of them come, yep, yep, this sounds good, I really want to learn it. Others still come with, yeah, I've heard about it, but I'm still not sure. I'm still not convinced that this is relevant for me because, you know, I'm, I'm a very, I've got a very serious job and, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. But it really is a case of helping them identify what message they want to get across first and then helping them find the most appropriate story. So I sort of take them through. It's funny, I actually take them through quite a logical process and then out the end pops these sometimes amazing emotional stories. And when I say emotional, on paper it's not emotional, but when they go to, when they share it and they're sharing a story about when they were a kid or they're talking about their nana or they're talking about their own kids or they're just talking about something, the emotion hits them and it happens all the time where they will just go, oh, oh I'm sorry, I, I don't know what's happening to me. And I go, it, it's called emotion, it's okay. <laughs> um, but it, it surprises them and it, do, it doesn't surprise me anymore because what I say to them, it's not you're, it's not, you're not just retelling the story, you're reliving it. You actually relive it when you share a personal story and the emotion, mm. the emotion will hit you. It will mm. hit you all the time. I've got a... A friend who is kind of like a storytelling coach, actually, in Canada. Yeah, okay. Um, I think she has a slightly different angle to the way you do it, but she started the almost like a um, a storytelling slam in Canada. I don't know if you've heard of the Moth as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, Yeah, similar to that. Yeah. 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 I guess their forums, which are events, so for people who don't know, where people come and they tell their prepared stories in an authentic, I don't know if you've ever been along to one. I've never been along to one. No, I haven't. But I know, I know the concept. There's a few of them, the moth, and I think there's story pod or something. Okay. Where they, yeah, but people just come and share their stories. Yeah, yeah. come and share their stories, and apparently they're, um, they can be incredibly moving. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, sometimes I've reflected that oh, I think, oh, man, I'm just not a very good storyteller. Mm. But then I, I notice myself when I do tell stories and... I'm not a bad storyteller and it's kind of, but it's, there's times when I can tell a story well and there's times where I don't tell it well. Yeah. Do you have people coming to you and think and saying that I'm, I'm just not a very good storyteller? Like, well, I have a lot of people saying that. So a lot of people say I'm not good at storytelling. A lot of people go, I don't have any stories because I'm just normal. So yeah. I go, okay, that's relaxed because the normal day-to-day stories are the ones that are powerful. I think it's like anything. There, there's some people that are naturally better speakers there's some people that are naturally better joke tellers. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's some people who are naturally better golf players. <laughs> yeah. But everyone, everyone can get better at it. And I think it's once people know what to do and what not to do and sort of the main mistakes to avoid, then you, you can become a better storyteller. I mean, I, I think most people, when they're not good storytellers, it's, they either go on way too long, so they, 
Yeah, my, my, yeah. my husband's a bit like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Haven't you tried to coach I know, him? I know. I, I should give him more of my books to read. And he'll always go, why do, you, why do you always interrupt me? I was like, oh, my God, you're taking so long to tell the story. <laughs> it's quite ironic. Um, uh. Or they tell a story in a very matter-of-fact way, like it's just we did this, we did yeah. that, we did that. I was actually at the gym. This this happened at the gym the other day, and I was on the treadmill, and there was a, a guy was on a treadmill, and the personal trainer was next to him, and his client on the treadmill must have asked, "What? How was your weekend?" And he went, "It was good." He goes, "I got up Saturday and I did some work, then I came home and I had breakfast, then I went shopping, then I had lunch, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh my God, this is not." I'm sure he didn't want mean that and it was like, you know, where people go good and they would, you know, then tell you about one great thing they did. Yeah. So some people tell their stories like it's, you know, they're just going through a logical sequence of events thinking mm. thinking that they're stories and, mm. and they're not stories. So it's why a lot of people think case studies are stories. Case studies aren't stories. They're just logical, this is what happened and this is what we did and this is the result and all, all very beneficial case studies but yeah. not stories. I think often people don't see the opportunity in a question like that as well mm. to tell a story. Yeah. And perhaps that's part of what you do as well, like reframing a presentation yeah. or a company meeting as a chance yep, to connect to emotionally and to tell Absolutely. a story. And again, yeah. people go, well, when do you tell stories and how do you know when to tell stories? It was like, well, you know, if you're doing a presentation or opening up a meeting, you could start with a story that demonstrates you're passionate about something or your credibility. Um, or otherwise, have have your stories ready to go. So when someone mm. asks a question that you know is going to be asked eventually, or you just go, well, actually, and you go into into your story. So yeah, it'd be you know like when we met, I go, how did you start this podcast? And you've got a story ready to go for that. It's it's the same with me. People ask lots of questions of how I came across storytelling, and and, and I tell the story about how I did that. So. Having, having stories ready to go. Let's hear that story, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear that story. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a story in a story how it started. Yeah. I, um, so I used to work at the National Australia Bank and um, I was, you know, I had senior leader positions and my last role, I had the pleasure of working with this woman called Merrin. And she, like in a previous job, worked in the UK and she'd lived in Dublin and fly to Glasgow every Sunday for work. And... She, told, she was telling me this story about, you know, she'd catch the same flight every Sunday and the hostie would go through the safety instructions and she'd either be asleep or reading the paper but certainly not paying attention yeah. to the instructions. And on this one particular flight, they came in to land and due to really bad weather, they had to abort the landing. So, you know, they circled around again, weather was getting worse, had to abort the landing again. Yeah. On the third attempt to land, the captain came on and said, we will make one final attempt to land. Um, as we're approaching, we will go through the safety instructions one more time. And Marin said people were just like asking questions and, you know, <laughs> full on, you know, counting the rows, actually looking for the life jacket, like full on undivided attention. Yeah. And a couple of months later, we were rolling out a major, um, major project across the NAB that was going to impact all the HR people. And it was going to be a long project. And I remember saying to Marin, when we pulled everyone together to sort of announce the project, I said, what's the one key message you want to get across to them? And she said, I know they'll be thinking, oh, you know, here we go, another bloody HR restructure, let's just not worry about it. She goes, they need to worry about it. She goes, they're going to be receiving lots of information that may not always be relevant, but when it is, they need to be paying attention because this is going to impact them and it's going to impact them personally. And I said, why don't you you know, share the story about flying into, you know, Dublin. And she says, what, what the hell has that got to do with anything? And I, I sort of said, it's on message, it's on message. So she did she did agree to tell that story. And there was a part of me going, I, I know it would work, but, like, I was the change manager and she was the project manager. So I guess she was taking all the risk. But I, was, I remember thinking, oh, God, I hope this works, I hope this works. And it was the first time I sat back and as she was telling the story, how everyone was just engaged and they were talking about the story afterwards. And, mm. you know, six months later, they were still talking about the story. Yeah. Um, like referring back to it about, okay, this is our time now to pay attention. And I just remember thinking, God, there's something in this. There's, I reckon there's something in the power of sharing a personal story, you know, to get your business message across. And I, 
So then I just started noticing that the really inspiring leaders were doing that. You'd go to conferences and you'd see a presenter and you go, they were the they were amazing. And you go, why were they amazing? It was like they were sharing personal stories. And then you, you, I started to think of conferences that I'd been, you know, 10 years ago and you'd see five speakers and you, the only thing you'd remember is the stories that some of the presenters said. Yeah. So that, that was sort of in my mind for a few years that there's something in this. And then a couple of years later there was a you know, there was a retrenchment package on the table for the NAB and I'd been there for 17 years and this this idea had been percolating for in my head for a, for a while and I just thought, what the hell, why don't I give it a crack? There was no one doing it in Australia. There was a couple of people in America that was doing it. Um, Steve Denning, who's a senior exec at World Bank, had written a book on it and I thought, you know, if a senior exec at the World Bank writes about it, there's got to be something in it as yes. well. Um, so that was it, and that, that was almost 13 years ago. So haven't looked back, and, yeah. and now and now it's like just the, the buzzword going around corporate Australia, which is great. Is it really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a hard sell 13 years ago. I must yeah, admit. yeah. It'd be like, ooh, storytelling. Once upon a time, I was like, no, <laughs> no, it's not about once upon a time. But um, yeah, now now it's seen as an absolute key leadership skill and, and communication skill. So yeah, it's good. Can you talk like just referring to Sapiens a bit yeah. as well? And I mean, my recollection is that essentially the fictions he talks about the fictions that we're mm. able to create. Yeah, like fiction being everything from um, the institution of government to yeah. um, an idea about you know, God or religion or the family or these things that they they don't really exist except no, in our minds. It's in our minds, yeah. yeah. There was a, the, I had to read read that chapter twice to get the concept of the, the fact that an organisation doesn't exist. It's just in our mind and it's just something on a bit of paper and yeah, it's all the people that exist but not the organisation. And it's... it's um, and it's also to me, it's like the concept of the stories we tell ourselves. Um, and he and he talked about even the possibilities, what's possible that we have this imagination. We could say we could do this, we could do this, and it. I think he talked about that. That's why we keep striving for these things because we've imagined the possibilities. But there's a lot in the stories we tell ourselves. In fact, that's the sort of working title of my next book. The, right. Say, the working title is The Convenient Stories We Tell Ourselves. Yeah. It's more on an individual basis, like um, we all tell ourselves stories yeah. that, just, that justify our actions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you talk a bit about, I mean, you, you came from storytelling and you saw it in action and the effect that it had on the project and you, yeah. that was your way into it. It sounds like you might have done a bit of work to then understand well, why why is this so important to humans? Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Look, there's. I mean, I guess as as I've gone on, I've sort of done a lot more reading and research, so it's just not based on my own experience. But it's as as humans, we are absolutely hardwired to tell stories. We engage in stories. We as soon as you start saying, you know, oh, that reminds me of a time when I went to Africa. Like I am, I am fully engaged with you now because. There's something in my brain that says you're about to tell me a story, and there's all the also this you know research that says when we hear a story, I think it's oxytocin, like the drug is released, which means I now trust you more mm. from for hearing your story, so that you, you can build trust and respect really quickly. And again, if you look in the business world, this is critical. Whether these are people you're leading or these are potential people you want to sell to, how you can um, build trust and start to build a stronger relationship. And there's also a lot of research that says um, when, you know, so when we hear a story, it taps into emotion and we process emotion faster than logic. So we process, the brain processes really? emotion yeah. so much faster than logic. And that's why when, you know, people go, oh, no, it was a logical decision. You've, it, we've already made the emotional decision. We're just backing it up through logic. So <laughs> yeah. anyone, in, anyone in sales will tell you um, humans make decisions based on emotion and they justify it on logic. So, you know, well, you know what, why does someone spend half a million dollars on a car as opposed to $20,000 on a car? That is an emotional decision, you yeah. know. Um, so we justify it on logic. So it's, 
it, it taps into emotion. And then when we, when a story taps into emotion, we actually remember it because we, things are stored in a different part of our brain when it goes through emotion. It's like, you know, it's like we all know exactly where we were when we heard about 9-11. We, we know exactly what we're doing or when Princess Diana died or, you know, when Trump got elected, other tragic things in the world that happened because we have such a strong emotional connection. So there's all this science around um, how the brain synchronises when they hear stories, the fact that, um, and, th and this was in the book Sapiens too, it was like experience is the best teacher. Like if I do something and get hurt by it, that's the best teacher. I, I won't do that again. But if I tell you the story of that, it's the second best teacher. So story mm. is the second best teacher. So I think in the book Sapiens they talk about, you know, if you've eaten the red berries and that makes you die, then you tell the story to your children of someone who did that so they, they know not to eat the red berries. So it's, again, hum humans are the only species that can do that. Yeah. Mm. It's funny, as you were saying, those those key events, my mind was just, and probably everyone who's listening was flashing to where they yeah, were they when were. they had that 9-11. They or... almost, you can't help yourself but do it. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, there's so there's so many things. Stories, you know, help you understand things better um, and it helps you remember it as well. So if your job is communicating, it's also like why would you not? Why would you not use stories? Why do, why do we stick with bullet points and PowerPoint presentations? For the life of me, I still can't understand what the systemic poor use of PowerPoint as a communication tool in business. Do you think it's a bit about, I mean, you can be quite, you can distance yourself from a PowerPoint presentation. Like yeah. that's this thing over there and I don't really have to show you too much of me. Yeah, yeah, but when telling a story, it's like oh, you're putting it open out myself there. up and yeah. here I am. Yeah. Yeah, I often, so I raise that in my training and I sort of ask the question, I go, so why do we stay in this safe, you know, just giving people the facts and figures, a reporter style, why do we stay there and why don't we move into sharing a few personal stories? And everyone, everyone says because it's safe. Yeah. It's no risk. I don't have to give anything of myself. So they all, it's all like acknowledgement that that's why we do it. Um, but, it, you know, as we know, it's just boring. It's yeah. just boring. So, um, yeah, it's just trying to get people to say it's okay to show emotion and it's okay to be show a bit of vulnerability um, because people will engage with that and they'll connect with it better and they'll understand and that increases trust and increases memory what you've actually said so all those things are critical but we we tend to still in business just go with the logic in the bullet point in the powerpoint presentation we use corporate jargon like we use management speak and corporate jargon like yeah. and and yeah th that's another one of my passions and i um i I've started what I hope to be a global revolution on jargon-free Fridays, acknowledging, <laughs> yes, nice. acknowledging that jargon, <laughs> jargon is really hard. It's addictive and it's really hard to give up. So it was a bit of a fun approach to what I think is a serious business issue to say, all right, what if we just focus one day at a time? What yeah. if we took up the challenge not to use jargon just on Fridays? Just to raise awareness of how ridiculous it is the way we talk in business. Yeah. Um, I actually got a couple of videos made up around the concept of if we use jargon. So one of them is if we use jargons for marriage proposals, like how ridiculous that would be. And <laughs> yes. if we use jargon to explain the birds and the bees to our kids. So it's just, so yeah, I, I, I just invested a whole heap of money on a website and videos. You, yeah. And it's for no commercial gain, except I just want to raise the awareness of how ridiculous using jargon is and perhaps instead of using the default language of jargon, we could perhaps try to speak in a more way that's more genuine and real and share stories. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, yes, I just showed you my lollipop. I have a big lollipop that says jargon sucks. I've <laughs> <laughs> got a few more questions for yeah. you. One is around can you... What's the bravest story you've heard of someone who you've helped or you've, you know, who's maybe gone against, you know, that culture of PowerPoint and, you know, distancing themselves in a culture that mightn't have yeah. been ready to accept storytelling, but they've put themselves out there and they've done it. And yeah, what was the yeah, result? Yeah, I probably, 
there's been a lot of that. Can I share another one that's yeah. more around authentic leadership? Yeah, and it, yeah. so it's so to me, it's this wasn't necessarily someone sharing a story, but it was um, it was just being really authentic and true to their values. And part of my concept of, of authentic leadership is you're true to your values and you communicate in a way that's real. Mm. So this this happened about a year ago, and it was when Telstra had inadvertently published silent numbers. So, and it was, you know, people have silent numbers for a reason and a lot of them are in abusive relationships and, and so the potential significant consequences to this. And I, Kate Hughes is the chief risk officer and, and I know Kate and I was sitting at home and I'm, I'm watching the project and Kate came on and they were talking, that was all, it was all over mainstream media about this Telstra Thing. And Kate came on the project and the first question they said was, what happened? And she said, we stuffed up. And we didn't stuff up once, we stuffed up several times. And I just sat there and went, wow, way to go, Kate. It was like, I just so expected, you know, we apologise if we've caused any, you know, problems and we're reviewing processes and systems and just the normal excuses and blah to not admit fault. From, mm. from an organisation. And I rang Kate a few days later and, and she said there's a bit of a backstory to that. Um, the CEO was out of the country, so she was asked to face the media. And, you know, she had a corporate affairs and media relations people there. And she said, I will only do this on one occasion. On I am not going to make excuses because this was a fucking monumental stuff up. And she said, the media relations person just looked at her and was a bit silent. And went, <laughs> okay, as long as you don't say fucking, as long as you don't say monumental. <laughs> like, so part of me, it was like you can be true to, you know, you don't have to go from blah, blah, blah to fucking monumental stuff up. You can just admit we stuffed up and say, like, just even saying stuffed up. Um, yeah. I just think that's real courage. It's real courage to do that because, you know, God, she potentially could have got back from the board or whatever but she just said well this is what I'm doing and I'm going to do the right thing and, and communicate it in a way that's real yeah so um it, it's just stories like that where people put their put them on put themselves on the line but knowing it's the right thing to do yeah that I find really yeah. really courageous and I think just typifies authentic leadership yeah 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 that, that's encouraging and you know I'm I'm thinking about, I guess, I'm just flashing back through my career now and the different stages where, because I've got a quite a, a long history in consulting and yeah. how that kind of authenticity was actually actively discouraged. Yeah, really. Well, well, it was. You yeah. just sort of everyone had to say the same thing and fall into line. And cover up and, yep. you know, don't, don't admit fault and yep. we don't want the client to see that and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're right and it, it was and it probably still is in a lot of the cases, but I think it's more and more moving away to the more authentic. Um, and I do a lot of work with professional service firms and even them are realising the power of even talking to a potential client about when they've when something's gone wrong with another client but what they've actually done about it and how they've responded because there's power in those stories as well. Yeah. And just flipping back to what you were saying about what you're starting to think about and the convenience stories that we tell ourselves, yeah. what's what's driving that? Uh, it's just I see a lot of people, you know, I do a lot of mentoring and, and, you know, you just see it even with your family and friends and they'll say things like, and, and initially this did, I, I went to Harvard a couple of years ago and, you know, you're sitting in the room and you you say something it, it, like it's a very confronting learning environment is it? Yeah, yeah very confronting it was like Whew, this is we're not in kansas anymore texas bloody well texas kansas anyway. <laughs> Tonto. Tonto, Tonto, yeah. that's it um where they you'd ask you'd, you'd make a comment and the instructor would go well that could be the truth or it could be a convenient story you're telling yourself and this wow. whole concept is um, you know, like, for example, I don't have time to exercise is a convenient story you're telling yourself. And those stories are very rarely the whole truth. And so if, you, so if, if the concept of the book is if you asked yourself several times, is that the truth or is it a convenient story, what could be another story, then you, then you more likely get closer to the truth. Yeah. So I just find myself, I ask myself that a lot. Like I don't. 
I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It's, um, I'll be too busy that week. And you go, is that a convenient story you're telling yourself? And you could go, and so this, I just asked this myself, maybe, maybe it's something that's so big that I'm a little bit scared of doing it. And you think, oh, maybe that's close to the truth. <laughs> yeah. So, so then, then you can decide. Then you can actually go, yeah, look, that is true, but I'm still not going to do it. Or that is true, and really, what's stopping me? And so, it can change your decision. So, I think if you, the more you ask yourself, is that a convenient story? It can change your attitude to things. Yeah. And it, it could be as simple. It was like, you know, you someone cuts you off and you yell at them. And then you go, you know, you come home and you go, they were an idiot, so I yelled at them. And they go, were they an idiot? Is that is that the truth? Is that because that's a really convenient story you're telling yourself that you've snapped at someone, and the reason you've lost control is they're an idiot, but it's probably not the truth. And if the, the more you ask yourself, is that a convenient story, the pro- more you'll probably get mm. to, well, actually, I was in a shitty mood myself. Yeah. And, and I know I, I overreacted. But that's an inconvenient story. Yeah. But the more you face up to your inconvenient stories, that's when the real growth can happen. Do you have people in your life who you, who you let ask that question to you? Because <laughs> I'm just thinking that that would be hard. That's, that's an excellent discipline if I can build that into my life. I wonder if it would probably be easy for someone else to notice if I'm doing that. Yeah. <laughs> There's some people do. So my executive manager who I work really closely with will sometimes say it. But a lot of the time I say it myself. Like a lot of the yeah. time I just come out and say, you know, no, that's, that's a load of crap. I'm not doing that. And then I just go, well, that could be a very convenient story I'm telling myself. Yeah. I sometimes probably say that but then don't sit with it long enough. You've got to sit with, you've got to sit with it. Mm. You can't go, is that a convenient story? You go, no, it's not a convenient story. The, the guy was an idiot. So you've got to truly ask yourself. <laughs> yeah. I think anyone... If anyone's asking that question of you or if you are asking it of someone else, it's always got to come from a place of care Yeah. Um, because otherwise you'd probably just been a smart ass. Totally. Um, yeah, it's, well, it's a very confronting thing to ask yeah, someone, yeah. really. And so, yeah. again, when I was at Harvard and I, you asked it, it was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to ask a question. <laughs> it was like, but it, it was. It was very confronting to start off with. Yeah. And, because, and the other confronting thing is, I could be asking you, is that a convenient story? But you're probably the least qualified to answer it. It would be someone else as close to you that would probably go, no, mm. the reason he's putting that off is because he's always been scared of failure. And that's when you go, really? Oh, my God, I have been. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to start practising that, actually. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Last two questions. The first one is about, as we were talking about at the start, this podcast is called Subtle Disruption and it's about, I guess, the small changes that can have uh, a large impact. And the first question is about a subtle disruption that you'd like to be part of one day that maybe bubbles away or you you daydream about thinking, yeah, I'd like to be part of changing that. I guess you've talked about a couple. I mean, you're doing one around storytelling at the moment. You talked about jargon-free Fridays, Fridays, but is there something else? Yeah. Look, they're probably my two passions. Um, And part of that, there's a a conference coming up later in the year and it's around um, making, like remaking the world. And you can apply to do a 15-minute slot of what you're doing that you help remake the world. Yeah. And I am going to apply for that. Um, because what, I, what I've seen is, one, the impact, the ripple effect it can have when one leader decides to be more authentic. So one, when one leader says, you know what, we're going to do the right thing, I'm going to start communicating in a way that's more real and more personal, and mm. the ripple effect that can have on their team. Mm. And I just think, God, imagine if we had tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of leaders doing that. Part of me thinks I would love to see that happen in the political world. I would love to see our political leaders speak in a way that's more real. Um, And I just don't think they ever will. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm the right person to drive that change. And I'm probably not because I don't have enough passion for it. But that would be... It would be so amazing to see our political leaders take a stance and do what's right yeah. as opposed to just doing what's popular. Yeah. Because at the moment we just do whatever's popular and yeah. whatever's going to, you know, make us look good in the next poll. 
but I but I think as a society, we I think the politicians are to blame for that, but we are to blame as well because I've seen some politicians that will you know speak in a way that's real and they just get canned. They just get you know they shouldn't be saying that. And we vote, you know, people can have, politicians can have a long-term vision, but if they're not delivering it in a year, then we vote them out. So mm. I just think they're in a damned if you do, damned if you don't place. And I think the public have got a lot to answer for that, the way we treat them. Yeah. Can I throw something maybe a little bit controversial at you? Yeah, go. Love it. So... I mean, something that I started to think about when Trump got elected and, yeah. say, Pauline Hanson as yeah. well is that, you know, I, I disagree with most of what they're all about. Yeah. But what I noticed is they, it seems like they speak in a very authentic way to themselves. They, they do. To who they are. Yes. Yeah. So the stuff they're saying it might be obnoxious, but it's who they are. And yeah. it's authentic and it is a Absolutely. They People are drawn to it. They are drawn to it. And, and it's a really good point because I, I've noticed that with Trump especially. So first of all, he just uses really simple words. Like he'll go, no, that was dumb. It was dumb. It's like, <laughs> wasn't working, wasn't working. And it's just this, but people are drawn. I mean, I think there's a whole lot of other things that people are sick of the political system. So they just yeah. want change and yeah. they just want any change. But they, he... He does talk authentically. It's just that his views are not what most of us agree with, but he, I'm sure he authentically believes everything he's doing is the right thing to do and he talks in a way, you know, he, he doesn't use jargon or big political speak. He just, we're going to build a wall. Yeah. Like, you know, how can you, he can say something like that and people go, yeah, let's build the wall. And you're thinking, what? Um, so, yeah, it's... It's like anything, isn't it, really, in the wrong hands? Yeah. In the wrong hand, you know, bringing the likes of Hitler. I'm sure he truly believed what he was doing as well and spoke in a way that influenced a lot of people to yeah. turn a blind eye to what was going on. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's like anything. You, you hope all this stuff is used for good rather than evil. And I guess I'm just wondering why in the political realm there's like a, a case where authenticity is being used perhaps not for good. Mm. Where are the people who have the ability to, to use it for good? You know what I mean? Are they just, don't, yeah. do they not have the same kind of skill or the same kind of belief to be authentic or is it, why can't they look at that and replicate that on the good side? Know, That's yeah, what I'm exactly. thinking. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, are they just coming? Oh, yeah. It, well, it's a, it's a, I don't have an answer to that, but it's a good question to ponder, isn't it? It is, like, yeah. Um, and part of me, you know, and it could be the likes of Trump and, and Pauline Hanson where they're, you know, they're probably just using basic simple words because that's their basic that's what they got. simple, that's what they got. Yeah. Um, which doesn't appeal to everyone, but you sort of think, you know, you've you, you got to think, why can't politicians see, okay, they don't have to be like that, but they've got to move away from saying things that mean nothing and just using, yeah. you know, just jargon and slogans that mean nothing. And you, you sit there and watch them going, what are, you try, what are you saying? I don't even understand what you're saying because they're actually trying to say nothing. They end up saying nothing. So because they're not prepared, to, most of them are not prepared to take a stand mm. Um, mm. because taking a stand they know will probably be not good for their you know, re-election or whatever. But yeah. it is all populism. In fact, today my daughter was just doing, um, she's VCE, so she was writing an article on on populist decisions and, and some of them can work for you. And I gave her the example of, you know, when um, John Howard introduced the gun laws. That was a very populist decision after um, Port Arthur, but it, it was good That's true. for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So populist decisions can work well, but on the on the flip side, they can be very very dangerous. Like you know, let's let's ban Muslims from entering the country. It was like uh, populist. Yeah. The terrible decision making. Yeah. How do we get onto that? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. I think, I, I think I'm getting out of my comfort zone now. <laughs> like, my 16 year old daughter, and she can continue the interview on that. Yeah. Um. The last question is about yourself and about a subtle change that you've made in your own life that's had an important or or lasting impact. 
more sustained in what you're doing now? Is yeah. there something that might be interesting for other people to hear about too? So there's know? probably one of the changes I made quite a few years ago when, and it probably coincided with my you know, girls being young teenagers, was was a real life by design. So mm. to really protect my diary. So things to say, you know, and, you know, for probably the last three years, I've just told clients I do not work school holidays. So I don't do delivery. Now I'll do emails and I'll write and stuff like that, but I don't do delivery. So having a real discipline around that. Yeah. And just even protecting my diary during the week so I don't do any more than two or three days delivery so again I've got you know and it, that, that's just not for my kids it's for, it's for my own energy so for my time to think and write and and um, looking after just looking after yourself first putting you uh, and, and in, not in a selfish way so there you know if I'm not healthy and well and energized and the rest of the family suffer because of that. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure my clients suffer too because you're not turning up 100%. So it's just being aware of that, having the courage to do it, mm. but then having the discipline to stick to it, the discipline to stick. And look, at, you know, I don't stick to it 100%, but I stick to it. It's probably 95%. I, um, and a lot of people go, do you lose work? It was like it's very rarely I lose work. It just gets delayed. It just gets, yeah. um, you know, they go, oh, you're not available. Oh, well, we'll do it the following month it was like that's okay that's good um but it's having discipline around that i think which which you sit there and you know people go you know when people use the word busy as a badge of honor or people go are you busy and i go no no not busy oh you had a busy day no i got up went to the gym did a bit of writing did some work i was like that's i'm glad my life's like that yeah I think that's a great way to finish. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and having him in your house. Pleasure. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Hey, thanks so much for listening. The big takeaway for me from my chat with Gabrielle was to look for an opportunity to tell a story within my work context. Did you feel inspired to do the same? If you feel like sharing an example of storytelling at work or anything else about my conversation with Gabrielle, You can do so by posting something on the Facebook page, through Twitter or Instagram, or even by sending me an email to adam at subtledisruptors.com. And of course, let me know if there are other subtle disruptors you think I should know about. Coming up next week, I'll be talking with Eddie Haring, also known as Dr. Time, about the power each of us has to reconceive and design our time. I'm Adam Murray, and I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected, and resolute in your own quest to subtle disruption. Bye for now.